0: 42 of Title 18, you know I showed you that guideline range. If the judge says no, nah, I don't like that guideline range. I'm going to do an upward departure. And if that's the case, okay and there's statutory room to do that upward departure, the, the defendant has the automi- automatic right to appeal. If there's a downward departure from that guideline range, Same thing with the government. The government has, the U.S. attorney has the uh, right to appeal that uh, sentence automatically. Uh, Of course, you can always appeal an incorrect application of the guidelines. It was just basically wrong from the beginning, and uh, uh, either party can uh, make that uh, appeal. Uh, Where there's no guideline and the sentence is plainly unreasonable, can be a basis for an appeal as well. Well, we have about at least 80% or so of of the federal criminal violations covered by the guidelines. There's a few out there that are not. You probably won't see many of those. But the plainly unreasonable would be the standard for appeal in that situation. And, of course, if it was a... An out and out illegal sentence, which I dare say you very rarely see, but uh, that's another right to uh, an appeal. We have statistics uh, from 1997 in case you're curious about what actually the courts are doing in terms of uh, sentencing. If you look at Ninety seven. This is based on uh, roughly forty six thousand cases, almost sixty eight percent of the time uh, judges are sentencing within the guideline range above the guideline range. You know, these departures upward from the guideline range. Ninety seven point eight percent and below the guideline range, these downward departures in ninety seven at twelve point one percent nineteen ninety eight. There's an increase to 13.6%. And below the guideline range for substantial assistance is 5K 1.1, which we're going to talk a little bit about later. Uh, For substantial assistance, uh, 97 number, 19.2%. The 98 number, 19.3%. So roughly the same. And that's been holding pretty steady the 5K 1.1 rate over the past few years. Um, And the 98 cases based on more cases in 98, uh, almost 48,000 cases in 98.
1: You know, with with single count application, we're going to start off with single counts, later we'll talk about multiple counts, but you don't understand single-count application, you will not understand multiple-count application. One thing to keep in mind uh, for, for you folks that haven't had experience with this is that the statute always trumps the guidelines. So if you go through this process going down the table, across the table, and you come up with some range, and that range says 12 to 14 years, but the defendant's convicted of a count with the maximum statutory penalty of 10 years. The statute is going to trump the guidelines. This guy cannot get any more than 10 years. That will be the sentence. Or if you calculate a guideline range that says give the guy two to three years, but the individual is convicted of an offense with a mandatory minimum of five years, that defendant will get the mandatory minimum of five years. Again the statute will trump the guidelines. So keep that in mind because uh, it can be quite significant as to the count that has been pled to for instance, in a single-can application, because you may come in having the statute trump what the guidelines have called for. In Chapter 2, as you're working your way down the table, you develop a base offense level, which is a starting point for coming down the table from the Chapter 2 guideline. You have specific offense characteristics uh, that talk about certain aspects of this particular offense, and if those characteristics are applicable, they will send you further down, sometimes back up the table. And you have in some of the chapter two guidelines uh, what are called cross-references, that basically say, okay, you've applied this chapter two guideline and you came up with a number here, but the cross-reference may say, well, go over to another chapter two guideline, apply that and see what that number is and sometimes you're directed to use that other guideline if the number is higher or you're directed to use that other guideline under certain circumstances instead of the one with which you had begun having completed the chapter two calculations coming down the table then you move to what we refer to sort of as generic guidelines in chapter three uh, they're adjustments that further affect this offense level, sending you further down or back up the table. These include victim-related adjustments, role in the offense adjustments, obstruction adjustments. Now, we're looking at single can applications, so at this point, we're not concerned with multiple counts, but in the sequence of guideline application, next would be the consideration of multiple counts of conviction if you did have multiple counts, and then the final Chapter Three adjustment is acceptance of responsibility. Of course, the question is, which Chapter Two guideline do you begin with? Uh, you've got a. Whole Having been a
2: prosecutor for five years and a criminal defense attorney for more than ten years, all the time I see cases where people find themselves suffering immigration consequences for a criminal conviction that they were not expecting. Situations where they go to court and their attorney says, hey, I got you a great deal, you're gonna get time served, you're gonna get out today, no jail time, just you sign these plea documents, it's it's a terrific deal, And, and, and they go through with it, they plead guilty, they plead no contest, and then a year later, sometimes five years later, sometimes 10 years later, they find themselves in removal proceedings about to be deported from the United States. Or they find that they leave the United States and they're not able to reenter, or they're not able to naturalize and become a citizen of the U.S. So, to the extent that you are not a citizen of the United States and you've been charged with a crime, you want to get an attorney who understands not only criminal law, but immigration law as well. And, and can resolve the case in a way that not only gets you a good result in court, but that is not going to trigger immigration consequences.
3: And go move their stuff, bring it back to you. They make them pay a deposit. They run it real nice. You can leave it at Home Depot. I leave mine's at Home Depot in a parking lot.
4: Yo, you know what? You know some people they'll spend you know $100, 000, 000 on a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars on an, on an investment property, that's not gonna give you three fifty a week.
3: No, it's not.
4: But you gonna buy a two, three thousand
3: dollar car. Turn them cars into real estate, baby. Better than real estate. And I was telling, I was like, I ain't gonna lie. Do you ever get an economy car and sit on it and nobody wants it? Haven't. I mean, I, I like like a lot of my mentees used to ask me like, what's the best car to get? I'd be like. All of them gonna go. You just wanna do the, when it comes to economies, you wanna do the ones that never really break down. Like like Toyotas. Come on, when you seen a Toyota broke down on the side man. of the street? Come on, bro, those things last forever. Especially a Prius, and they good on gas. You fill it up with $20, that thing get you all week. You know what I mean? So I just look for Toyota Priuses. Man, it's just super Condé convenient, be it,
4: man, because it's, I just put it on my insurance, Go ahead and drive it.
3: Something happens. You don't, you don't care. I don't you can care, care less. That. You know what I mean. And then you can. I still put full coverage on all of mine just to take a little baby check that I'm gonna mm-hmm. get. But it don't matter to me because I already know. I know. Like if it, if in the rare occasion that it before I make my money back, it crashes or something like that, which it doesn't. But if it were to, it's not a big deal. I only spent two thousand. Like for, I'm not saying just you have two thousand. I'm talking about I used my finance cars yeah. to get me up to where I was making enough money to go and buy cars cash. And then I dud, it, I dud it over and over and over to where I got so many economy cars, they gonna keep going and going and going. Now, when they happen to do breakdown or something like that, I get them fixed. And then I keep them going. And if, I, if they done for, I already made my money back times tw- 10 already. Yeah. And it's not a big deal to me. So I just, you know, sell it to the scrap cars, get money off from the scrap people. Tell it mm. to them, then go get another one. Like, it's not even a big deal because it's so many of those cars. Y'all got to understand that they make a, a a new model of every car every single year. Y'all know how many cars out here? Y'all know how many people go get something on uh, Labor Day, on the Labor Day sales, and they can't handle it no more they want to give it away? Mm-hmm. Let me give y'all a couple games. Let me give y'all a couple games before we get out for this thing. So, you talking joint ventures. You got people that can't handle their car notes no more. You know a way to make money with it. You take over that payment. You get the money with it. Or you can offer your people who don't know how to make money for themselves. Give them money every month to use their credit, get a finance car. So you're helping them in two ways. You're getting yourself money and you're helping your people who don't know how to make money and giving them side money. That's a joint venture. Learn how to solve problems. If you start learn how to solve problems in this game, you will never be broke. Because it's so many people that need cars for stuff. Different reasons. You know what I mean? You'll, you'll be getting slingshots. You'll be like, damn, why would I need a slingshot? Cause you can drive it for yourself and then you can make money on it hourly. Mm. What do not run out a uh, slingshot for the day? Run it out by the hour. hundred an hour gonna make you a killing. Get three of them. They gonna get them three at the same time, I promise you. It's so many plays. It's like, get you trucks, use fetch truck. You know how many people need trucks for moving? If you that guy who just give it to them, like, I don't care if you beat it up a little bit. I don't give a damn about this truck. Move your stuff. These dudes gonna rent them every damn day. <laughs> Y'all know how good these trucks, are. I'll be like, yo, I'll be so surprised, I'll be like, I was like, yeah, just, you can, you can ding it up a little bit. I'm not gonna make you pay if you ding up the back or would They be like, bro, I'm taking some work every day. Y'all know how much money I make off these trucks, man? Come on, man, don't start, don't mm-hmm. get me started. So, just- solve problems, baby, and then you'll, you'll go a long way. <laughs> Help your people, do the joint venture method, mm-hmm. broker deals with other people who, who are in the rental car space, maybe they might be as good at you in marketing. Maybe mm-hmm. they might not have the platform that a Dave Sham has. He could say, look, I got my rental cars going out for hundred a day, who need that? You feel what I'm saying? Or maybe they can't, they don't have that influence. So if you do have it, you can help them out, give them a minimum daily payment that they'll make, a minimum that they'll make every day when a car goes out and then charge your fee on top. You know you got that clout, go ahead and use it. Solve mm-hmm. these problems. If they, even know you're the go-to guy, be that go-to guy. Mm-hmm. Be able to just do good business, though. Have integrity and be consistent. If you be consistent in any business, they'll never forget you. So every time they come in town, they're going to send all their cousins to you. They're going to send their sales to you, and they're going to make sure that they rent with you because you were consistent and you do good business. If you do that, I, that's why I never worry about having customers because they're they dying for me. They hit my Google page they hit my 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 instagram mm. they hit my business instagram they hit in uh my Toro, <laughs> my hired car. So I got them coming from all streams. You know what I'm saying? So that's the thing. And clearly word of mouth is passing around as well because I do good business. And I think of myself as a friendly guy and I, somewhere where somebody will want to come and feel comfortable getting a the car. They know I'm not going to trick them and charge them extra fees. I'm only going to charge you for what you do. I'm not going to charge you for what I want. I'm not going to say, oh, I've been had this scratch. Let me get them. No, no. We're going to be detailed on every time. And I'm going to make sure... Everybody's happy. That's what I want, that's all I care. Everybody right. needs to be happy. I
4: love it. Bitch, I appreciate you, my brother.
3: Yep. Um, this was just a, a wealth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I'm really probably going to go get an eight tomorrow. It's going to be so dope. We're going to pull up back to back. Once you do that, I was like, look. How much is the rap? Because you got a it, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So get a good rap guy. And let me tell you another trick on the raps. Go to these, if you got, or if you're like a person
1: versus New Jersey decision by the U.S. Supreme Court last year. Uh, There the U.S. Supreme Court talked about what is required in order to have an enhanced maximum statutory penalty. Because our video presentation today, however, is focusing, focusing on basic guidelines application, we will not be getting into the determination of statutory penalties or looking at recent case law developments. But for those of you that are interested in Apprendi, and I'm sure that virtually everyone is, uh, the FJTN did an excellent broadcast just last month that looked at Apprendi. Uh, They did a great job. It had an expert panel that was involved in that uh, to include one of our sentencing commissioners, Judge Joe Kendall from the Northern District of Texas. Uh, so we certainly commend you uh, to, to watching that video. We, we think it's, it's, it's an excellent one. Uh, it will be rebroadcast on a couple of occasions, upcoming uh, on the FJTN network. Uh, the first will be on uh, February the 14th. Uh, I assume that that's probably like some kind of FJTN Valentine's Day special. <laughs> and then it will be shown again on March the 14th uh, on each of those dates will be shown at both uh, noon and then again at one o'clock.
5: Thank you, Rusty. We're going to move on to our final segment in just a moment, but before we do that, Rusty, um, I just wanted to ask you, what do you think is one of the most important principles to remember when we're applying relevant conduct?
1: Well, I think the main thing, and and you probably gathered it from the uh, video presentation, uh, was that uh, relevant conduct uh, has to be done on an individualized determination. Uh, for each and every defendant that is uh, being sentenced and the, the, for which the guidelines are being applied, you have to go through this analysis for each and every one. Uh, and that's true even if you have multiple defendants convicted of just the same count of conviction, because that relevant conduct may be different for each of those defendants. And you don't know that until you have gone through that analysis and that application. Uh, now I know that sometimes, uh, if you've done it long enough, uh, it starts seeming maybe a little bit intuitive as, as to the analysis. Uh, but I think uh, always uh, a person applying the guidelines would do well to go back to the analysis and be able to articulate where in the analysis they found the role of conduct to apply or not to apply, Uh, because if an issue is challenged, you have to be able to go back and to justify why you did or did not include something as part of your relevant
5: conduct. Absolutely, very good point. Okay, it's time to move on to our fourth and final segment of the videotape. It's going to focus on multiple count application, and we're also going to give you a brief discussion of departures. Remember, if you have any questions, please fax them into us now. Once again, our fax number is 1-800-488-0397. Let's go back to the videotape.
1: Of course, as you're applying guidelines, you've got to use the sentencing table, and you've got to come down the table to a certain point and across the table to a certain point to come up with your guideline range. And with multiple counts, of course, one of the practical aspects of it is, hey, well, if i got multiple counts, what point do I use going down the table? If i got multiple counts, do I have multiple points? You know, how do i I got to have one place that I come down so I can go across from that place to go out to find this one range. And the rationale for the multiple count rules One is to determine the single offense level. By using these rules, you will be able to find that one point coming down the table that connects with that one point going across the table that gives you this one guideline range for your multiple counts of conviction. The commission in the multiple count rules is trying to keep from double counting, from punishing a defendant twice through conduct, really, has already been punished under one of the counts of conviction. We don't want to double punish. Uh, Also to provide incremental punishment. If someone, say, comes into court convicted of multiple offenses, uh, oftentimes people will get multiple punishments for multiple offenses, but typically it it isn't equal amounts of of punishment. A guy convicted of five robberies probably doesn't get the the length of time under nine guidelines sentencing, uh, five times the time that the guy who committed the one robbery Rather, it's more of an incremental increase, and our guidelines work to give incremental increases. Yeah, you'll get more time for five robberies than for one, but you're not going to get five times the amount. You're going to get a little bit more for each of the additional, what we call, harms. And to limit prosecutorial impact. If the guidelines said, oh, every time you get a counter conviction, we're going to add so much more offense levels or so much more time or whatever, Prosecutors said, Well, in this case, you know, I can charge twenty counts of embezzlement. Uh, in this other case, I'll just charge one count of embezzlement, and boy, we came out with a whole lot different sentence here just based on purely the way I decided to charge this conduct. And the commission has tried to limit that somewhat in these multiple count rules. Now the commission said, We know that when you have multiple counts of conviction, you have multiple Violations of law. It's, I mean, it's, it's one and the same. You violated the law multiple times, through the multiple counts conviction. But you don't always have
6: this kid's amazing. He's 18. He got a real estate license. I say, yo, by the time I'm 30, I'll be retired. I'm out of here. What? $14,000 check? $12,000 check? I had a 2006 Dodge Charger in 2006. Mm. I went and got an Escalade. Yeah. Oh, life is great. Twelve months later, oh, <laughs> one day you wake up,
4: <laughs> the world is different.
6: <laughs> People are coming in, right? I'm, 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 gonna tell the truth, right? People are coming in now, and my broker goes, "We're gonna have to do loan modifications, right?" He starts crushing it with the loan mods. Now he's crushing it too but i'm getting chewed out because i'm seeing people lose their homes that i just sold homes Mm. it's like mortgage was this it's now this what do we do
4: oh loan modification meaning you sell me a home and then your company
6: changes my loan no they were doing like basically taking it to banks to rearrange people's loans, to do like kind of refis and depending on what part you were at hmm. to get you out of that adjustable rate. Right. Getting people out of it. But you charging people to get them out of the bad loan, you put them in. Hmm. Yikes. I moved to Atlanta. Why'd you move to Atlanta? I wasn't making no money. Right. It was over. It was, and did you
4: see Atlanta as an opportunity to sell more real estate, or it's just a different opportunity?
6: It was a different opportunity. I met some people that was doing um, network marketing, your travel biz, YTB. Okay. That was my first ever. Did mortgage. you get a
4: bag in YTB?
6: Absolutely not. Really? Absolutely not. You
4: know, you remember uh, Spencer Iverson? Something
6: Spencer was killing it. I was under a guy named Keith mm. out of making. Uh, no, I didn't, um, but I got I got inspired, right? right? I remember going to St. Louis, and I seen these regular people who weren't celebrities standing on a stage that packed out the whole St. Louis arena. Mm. And I told my mom, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna be able to pack a arena out to respect me when I come out and do something. So that's been my goal. I go, I remember seeing that. I didn't know that as I fast forward now and I go, only way you'll be able to do that is if you can positively impact people's lives. So you have to get into a position to where you can impact as many people as possible. So when I look at it now and I look at my business model, my whole goal is if you want to be successful, You'll only be as successful as the amount of people you help become successful. Mm. I have to make massive impact positively on people's lives. Gotcha. The more amount of people I can positively affect, the more successful I'll be. And the closer to going, Look at I can now put and go look at how many people I've been able to positively impact.
4: For sure, for sure.
6: That's now my goal and it's been my goal for the last few years. Is how do I grow my impact? I started out with financial literacy and um, credit coaching and things like that because I wanted to help people. Mm. I've helped fathers get funded to get their daughters heart surgery. Mm. That kind of impact people who... Um, kids are getting taken and put into Child Protective Services and we're helping them purchase homes or helping them get into adequate living situations, not understanding that they can finance furniture to have their home properly, furniture, having everything there. That kind of impact. Mm-hmm. Then I go, I can only do so much. This is getting beyond me. I have more clients then I can have staff
4: right okay so we 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 we, we fast-forward so you're a YCB not making no money but yeah. how do you get into helping people with their credit
6: get I started working I uh, went through transitions different come different businesses Atlanta I got introduced to Atlanta you know anybody get introduced to Atlanta you get introduced to get outside really? and go mm-hmm. so I got outside and I went. I'm on Craigslist. I'm doing cell phone repair. I go into. So you got in the cell phone repair after the YTB yeah, fiasco. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, fiasco with that, right? So I remember I, even with YTB, I was like Marietta uh, Mall. I mean, the flea market in Marietta. Mm-hmm. I went in there and bought Air Force Ones by the caseload from China, and I would drive around and deliver those.
4: Mm, I right. was in
6: that game. So I did that, ended up into the cell phones. I started figuring that out. I go through the cell phone, um, spend for about a year and a half, two years. That did really well when eBay was going on, buying screens from China, fixing them, right? ended up opening the boost mobile that crashed on us i lost everything mm. i literally was i moved in with my sister I lost everything not only did i navigating the legal waters can be challenging
7: and frightening at times being accused of a crime either a business or a personal matter, finding the right attorney, while it doesn't cost anything to make that call, could cost everything in terms of outcome. When I came to Woolwich Law Firm, I found a team of professionals, assertive, aggressive, focused not only on the outcome, but also on the the client. There were many nights, late nights, where I, I would pick up the phone and call members of the team, and I always got a response, and that's important finding a lawyer who just represents the outcomes and doesn't represent the clients can be terrifying. Really committed to not only winning the case, but also committed to making the experience one that puts the client in the best frame of light. What made this situation more, uh, scary for me is the fact that being a high publicity at times, you people can say anything they want about you and it's your job as the person To hire the right law firm to protect your interest, your reputation and your livelihood. And that's what happened to me accused of something that I absolutely did not do. I sought the best representation, not taking a chance on the outcomes, not taking a chance on my livelihood. Wooldridge Law Firm, again, committed to the outcomes, committed to the client. You won't be sorry.
8: What you've got to do, folks, when it comes to this FICO score stuff, and people run around mouthing about that stuff all the time, oh my God, they have done such a good job at FICO of making you believe that that is an actual indicator of your success. Your FICO score is not an indicator of your success. All you've done is successfully pay payments and interest to the bank. It's the only way you get a FICO score. I've got an 880. Well, I'm sorry. That probably cost you about a hundred grand. I mean, really? You can get your aunt could die tomorrow and leave you $10 million. You know what that would do to your FICO score? Nothing. Because your FICO score is not an indicator of your net worth. Your boss could walk in this afternoon and raise your income to a million dollars a year. You know what that would do to your FICO score? Nothing. Because a FICO score is not an indicator of financial health. It's not an indicator of a big income. It's not an indicator of a big net worth. It's not an indicator of a big investment portfolio. A FICO score is an indicator that you borrowed money and paid it back a lot. And the higher your FICO score, it mean, the more it means, the more you've done this over and over and over and over again. So, this worshiping at the altar of FICO represents stupidity on your part. Stupid. Because you're using a false measure of success. It is not a measure of financial success unless you consider paying lots of interest and payments to the bank success. It's the only way that your FICO score develops. And case in point is, if you never borrow money, you'll never have a FICO score. Case in point is, if you pay off every single account and close all of them, And you have a net worth of tens of millions of dollars, and you make a bazillion dollars a year, and your FICO score is zero. That's me, by the way. Okay? I have a zero FICO score. I've not borrowed money in 20 years. All the accounts are closed, they're not just zero balanced, they're closed. I don't owe a soul and haven't in 20 years, and plus, over 20 years. And so I don't have a FICO score. But here's how stupid our culture is. I can wander over here to the local apartment complex with some little 27-year-old apartment manager who reports to somebody I live in Nashville, and they report to somebody in New York or Atlanta. And I fill out an application to rent an apartment. And because I don't have a FICO score, their, their, their thought train is so backward and stupid, they won't rent me an apartment. Now, I can write a check and buy the whole freaking complex, but I can't rent an apartment there. See, that's how stupid this is and how culturally backward it is. So, if your goal is to buy nice furniture for the bank lobby, then run your FICO score up. If your goal is to make sure that the windows are cleaned on that hundred story tower in the downtown skyline of your city and that's a bank tower if your goal is to make sure the window washers there get paid then run your FICO score up if your goal is to make sure the stock at General Motors or Ford or Lexus that their stock price goes up because they're Profit has increased because they've funded more car loans and made interest on you. Then run your FICO score up. But if your goal is to change your family tree and become very wealthy and outrageously generous. If your goal is to have tens of millions of dollars in order to make sure that your family generationally is shifted and that you have the ability to be unbelievably outrageously generous, if that's your goal, then screw FICO. Why are you giving them money? Why are you giving banks money to run up a false measure of success? It's not a proper measure of success. But all these dadgum broke financial geniuses that work with you, or that'll be at Christmas dinner in your family. You need to protect your FICO score. <laughs>
3: about how People, much? Um, About 3000 The most I pay for one is like forty-two, And I'm cool with that. Because so they'd be good. Come. They'd be like 2013s. Right. Uh, 2013 and up. So 2013 and up. It doesn't have to be that. Right. But that's what, if you want them to be using it for like Lyft and Uber, gotcha. you, you get 2013 and up because they starting to, you know, every year they make it to where your, your car gotta be a higher year. Right. So where where do you where do you find the people that want to
4: get it for that particular purpose? Like lifting. It? Uh you can put it on the
3: uh, they get it around in the higher car and and you also can get it higher car that's a yeah, website. You can that do that. What? You can do that too. But for me, uh, I found it better on personal. So I went and did that renting them out personally. So once you know, people know you for cars, they know you for cars. Okay, yes, because I want to get into that. Mm. Because one day,
4: I like to be, you know, do the personal, it's just I'm so afraid that if it's not on this, because first off, Turo's gonna take 30%. They killing it. Of your income. They winning. I was just talking to Brandon the other day. They winning. Like yo, they created a website where I can find you and you give me your car, and they're in the
3: middle and take 30% of all these transactions. And they don't own any cars. Are they going public? I'm not sure. And if they do, I'm probably going buy-in. I'm invested yeah, in Yeah, for sure. sure. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing business model. Awesome. But that's
4: the security. That's the security because if they crash your car, they steal your car, tour takes
3: care of it. Kind of. know. You got to do it the right way. Talk that's what, them. that's the only reason I made the course. Cause I've seen people that, that well, uh, other than the fact that I wanted to actually teach the business that I do and make a million millionaires, I wanted to teach it because people don't know how to use Toro the right way. So they be, a lot, if you follow, if you get on the forum, it'll scare you to death. If you get on the Facebook, <laughs> <laughs> if you get on the Facebook Toro forum, it'll scare you to death out of wanting to rent anything on Toro because you're going to hear all the horror stories but the only reason you see the horror stories is because people don't follow the steps and things like I teach in the course on the, the pre-trips like what you need to have like 80 plus photos inside outside you gotta cover every part of that car because if you take a picture of the car from a wide range and it doesn't see that part that actually gets hit before the trip they will not cover you if you got tires under 432 tread death and the customer even mentions the word tires bald, they're going to investigate. And if you don't got paperwork from a week of or a tread depth reader on your pictures the day of that trip, before they took the car, they're not going to cover you. It don't matter if they totaled it, they don't matter if they stole it, whatever. They're not going to cover you because, well, not stole it, but they won't cover you if you had the tread depth, tires, the tire tread depth messed up. So so if they get in an accident, mm-hmm. right?
4: Even if the tires are still there intact, you can go look at the tires to see if the tread depth is underfoot. On, mm-hmm. oh, on point. Yeah, yeah. If they just say out of their mouth, you know what, I don't know if the tires had good tread. They're
3: just not going to cover it. And no, they're going to investigate it.
4: Gonna so investigate and it.
3: once they investigate it, if you don't have your paperwork from the week of, and you don't have a tread depth reader picture with you with your damn tread depth reader in that tire after they said that. And they look at the pictures and they can't tell. Like you couldn't, you didn't take a picture of your tread. Right. If they can't tell that those are good tires, which they won't, because they're going to want to not cover it because you didn't follow the guidelines by using that tread depth reader mm. or a coin to show how deep it is in the tire before the trip, they're going to not cover you. It's just, it's, I've seen it. I mean, it happened to me before. So um, like a, somebody smacked the car, it's clear. They admitted to it, I was driving drunk, I smacked the car, ran into the median. But they did say that the tires was bald. <laughs> Brand new car. Wow. You know what I'm saying? They ain't cover it. So then you gotta use your own personal insurance. You know what I'm saying? So That sucks. Yeah, so what you wanna do is and mm-hmm. that raised your rate, that raised your personal insurance. You don't yeah. want to use your personal insurance though, right?
4: Yeah,
3: well, uh, I say like this, you never want to lie to your insurance company, but you definitely got to know that insurance is a game of words. So you can be covered in any situation, you never lie, but you definitely want to make sure you don't, you omit the right things. Give me, give me, get, walk, 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 So let's through. say this, if you ask me um. Why was, why was Shams driving the car? And I say I gave him permission versus I, let it, I rented the car to him. They won't ask directly if you rented the car to him. They are gonna just say, why was you driving? He was a permissible driver, I gave him permission. This is true. But also, if you rented it, that's also true as well. But I choose to omit the fact that it was rented, it'll be covered. Does that make sense? So it'll be covered if I give you permission It's not going to be covered if I rented it to you. No, because it's commercial use and this is your personal policy. And also, other people don't know. It's a game of words. It's all about words. It'll always be covered, but you got to know what you're saying. Don't lie. They directly ask you, then tell the truth because you don't want to lie. But if they don't directly ask you, make sure you protect yourself by saying, yeah, I gave him permission to...
9: The state of Nevada has a number of provisions which are designed to protect animals. Uh, Most significantly is NRS section 206.150. Killing, maiming, disfiguring, or poisoning animals that belong to other people. And what's really important is that it covers not just dogs and cats. It covers all animals. If you are charged with killing somebody else's animal, you face a Category D felony, an imprisonment of up to four years. If the animal involves livestock, it can be a Category C felony, where the penalty is up to five years in state prison. <music>
10: King Von is one of the newer rappers in the Chicago hip-hop scene. With his hottest track, Crazy Story, doing over 30 million views on the World Star Hip-Hop YouTube channel at the time of this recording, King Von is making a rather impressive name for himself in Chicago hip-hop. But what makes King Von's career even more iconic is the fact that King Von hasn't even been rapping for a year yet. He claims that the only reason he got into rapping was because he's done everything else, and not because he had some sort of knack for rapping. What King Von mainly means by that is that he's done almost everything when it comes to the streets. So all he has left to do is tell his stories and experiences through his music. Even though King Von doesn't have an extremely lengthy rap sheet like some of his peers, King Von definitely has a unique criminal history due to the outcome of some of his cases. Well, without further ado, here is an exclusive inside look at the criminal history of King Von. King Von's first run-ins with the law were not very well documented due to the fact that he was a minor at the time of his arrests. But luckily, he gave a little bit more detail of those arrests in an interview with DJ Small's eyes. In the interview, King Von mentioned that his first arrest was from an armed robbery where apparently he robbed someone at gunpoint and stole their car. When King Von was caught, the police sent him to a juvenile detention center where the charges against him were ultimately dropped due to King Von being so young at the time. But. The only way to make this deal work out was that a judge required King Von to attend a boot camp for a certain amount of time. For the other three arrests, King Von gave almost little to no detail, but apparently one of them was for possession of a firearm. King Von didn't say how this case ended, but we can probably assume that he was sent to a juvenile detention center and got convicted, but under a certain type of condition where it gets taken off of his record after he turns 18. King Von also mentions that he was locked up at one time for 15 months, and the time before that for 14 months. Von gave no details as of why, but it apparently happened. King Von's next arrest happened when he was only 19 years old, in 2014. According to authorities, King Vaughn was at a party when a guy named Malcolm Stuckey was steady eyeballing him. King Vaughn must have taken offense to this because he then grabbed his friend Michael Wade and left the party in a gray vehicle. Around 45 minutes later, King Vaughn and Wade returned to the party, but parked in an alley near the home. The two then got out of the car with loaded guns and headed to the front of the residence. Malcolm Stuckey and two other people were sitting on the front porch when King Von and Wade opened fire on them. Stuckey and the other man fled down LaSalle Street, but both ended up getting shot. The other man on the porch was shot as well as he was attempting to run inside the home. In the end, three people were critically wounded, but Malcolm Stuckey unfortunately got shot in the head and died later that day. After the shooting, King Vaughn and Wade ran back to their car and fled. Both of them ended up getting arrested days later. During the investigations, over 20 shell casings were recovered, and Wade even admitted to police that he had fired a gun 15 or 16 times at one of the victims. King Vaughn, on the other hand, refused to talk to the authorities. The two were held without bond and were facing life in prison for charges of first degree murder and two attempted murders. After sitting in jail for three and a half years, the trial finally began. The trial lasted a total of five days, and the outcome is honestly surprising. Wade got sentenced to 28 years in prison, while King Vaughn was acquitted of all charges. After three and a half years in Cook County Jail, King Vaughn was free. Since his release, King Vaughn was staying out of trouble and began rapping. Vaughn also moved to Atlanta to be around his good friend Lil Durk, who is also an extremely successful rapper. With a promising future ahead of him and all while being surrounded by many other successful people, You would think that King Vaughn would never risk all that to commit some stupid crime, but sadly, that was not the case. Because on May 17th, 2019, King Vaughn was arrested once again in Fulton County, Georgia. Sources say that King Vaughn was involved in a shooting that occurred on February 5th, 2019 at the parking lot of the Varsity in downtown Atlanta. Officers apparently responded to a call at around 5.45 a.m. after gunshots were reported in the area. When they arrived, they found a 23-year-old man shot to the lower extremities. The man was found outside of his vehicle in the parking lot and was taken to Atlanta Medical Center in serious condition. Thankfully, he survived. After three months of investigation, police determined that King Vaughn was the alleged shooter and eventually ended up arresting King Vaughn moments after that conclusion was made. King Vaughn is still locked up to this day and is being held without bond. Sources close to the situation say that the man King Vaughn shot was attempting to rob him and that it was done in self-defense. Internet detectives are speculating that King Von will get three years. Well, others say he'll get off
3: completely. I teach uh, joint ventures and brokering method, right? So just like me and you actually spoke about this. Yeah. So what I do that's the is- the car
4: out there, the car vet. Right, yeah. that thing gonna that's go, yours. that
3: thing, that's hotcakes. That's yours. So, you know, I meant, can, to, you have you have you, I'm meant to bring you a keychain. so I normally get this keychain to people who get into the, the brokering or joint venture thing Don't with no me, more. just to make sure you know you're part of the click now. Just i us go will, and,
4: Like a Rockefeller chain. Is that, boy, like a cha- yes, <laughs> sir.
10: Okay, we good. I like like that? Yo, we got to get them. We, we got to
3: get them. Everybody who got a chain on, they mess with Mitch, and Mitch got the whips going Straight crazy. Like All right, so long story short, so I get into joint ventures with people, and I broker with other people who have rental car agencies. So you have Maddie J on here. We do this together as well. So he has cars that I use in my network as well and rent out as my own. How do you do this? You learn the game, you master it, you learn the ins and outs of it, then you can talk the talk, also walk the walk, so you know what you're doing if something happens, right? Mm -hmm. So if something happens to this car, I know exactly what to do because I've been running it for five years. So if I take yours, I know exactly what to do as well. I know the terminology to say, I know the the contracts to have, I know the mechanics to know, I know the tire people, I know everything I need to know. So if I go tell you what I do, Mm -hmm. what you gonna do? You gonna be like, I'm giving my keys to Rich. I'm gonna let him run it. If me and you broker a deal, um, I know what you want minimum per day. I charge on top of that, we both making money, everybody's happy. If I got five years of clientele, why would you not? Why would you want to sit there and build up your own clientele? Well, you can just give it to me mm-hmm. and go work and go have a ad- dope podcast, coming here, <laughs> and you can go have to worry about the cars because Mitch learned about it because he got a whole staff and a whole lot out by the airport that can have as many cars as you need. You feel God. what I'm saying? Let me ask you real quick. With this network of cars,
4: mm-hmm. what do you think and not in your in your personal pockets, but what's like some of your revenue per month from this car rental
3: business me uh now I'm doing two hundred thousand dollar months and it's getting pretty consistent so uh on the average, I average like about one hundred and twenty thousand, and that's what my c p a says mm. that's what the revenue is looking like, and that's just because uh, I'm getting a lot of bookings. Like, I don't just have the car sitting there picking up cobwebs. We get creative. We get creative. We go to golf courses. We hand out pamphlets. We make it make sense. i all doing the work. Man, we doing tours. We doing rental, uh, luxury rental car tours. I get deals with the uh, the valet companies in front of the W, leave them parked in front of the W, and then let them know, hey, look, if you tell them to, they can drive this for with no deposit, how do they drive with no deposit? I'm being in the front seat with them. I let them get in it, charging one fifty. We did a tour around four hundred in a the Lambo. Then they get in the rentals. They passing now. Oh, when I came to the W in Atlanta, this dude bitch he had me with the Lamborghini and the I eight. Man, come on, bro, I get creative. All right, so that I, I wanted to like give
4: people like where we are today. But now I gotta take them back how we started. Okay, I gotta I gotta take them way back, cause he keeps telling people he
3: worked for me. And he, oh yeah, he I worked work for, for this guy. This is like my low key my ex boss.
10: <laughs> this is fire! <forward. laughs> hey, and I'm on my boy's podcast going
4: crazy. That's weird.
3: Okay, just j- walk, walk, walk me through where you were. Okay, so um clearly. I used to work for this guy, but when I worked for him, I, I had a nine to five as well. So I, I used to work for the city of Atlanta. I used to do corrections mm. and I could fight. So I used to teach the defensive tactics as well. Mm. So I teach people how to shoot and I teach people how to fight. And I was in the jail and I was like miserable. Like I'm getting a lot of mental wear and tear because mm. like, you see a lot of horrible truths when you work in a jail, man. Mm. So I was working 16 hour shifts. Like they do mandatory, voluntary overtime. So I'm working 16 hour shifts. Um, what were some of the things that really affected you walking, like just working there? Working in the jail. Just seeing like how how many of our people are there and they basically remind you of like slavery didn't end for real. Like this is where it is. Cause you get to see that they got these work details that they put the inmates on and they go out on the street and they do things. They go to the cities and they be- go to the bando houses and fix them up, trim the hedges. They go out on the side of the highway, pick up the trash. They go out and clean out underneath the pathways, where the homeless people stay, yep. and they clean all that stuff out. They're doing work, literally, for free. You get what I'm saying? So you can kind of see how the concept of slavery never ended is actually, we just numb to it because we don't think about where the people actually go when they go to jail. So I'm seeing that firsthand every day. It's yep. tearing me up, and I'm a thinker. So I'm sitting there thinking the whole time, I'm like, oh my God. God, this is horrible. Yeah. Like, you know, it's inhumane anyway. Nobody should really be in jail. It's not even rehabilitative. They're not getting rehab when they go there. They're just going there for a second and just living in a horrible situation. Mm. You get what I mean? And then you get to where I was working at, like they can't even take a shower every day. They got shower days. Just thinking about not being there as a grown adult, not being able to take showers when you want to. You got to take when they tell you. You got to eat when shower they tell days. you. Yeah, it was crazy. It wasn't it was different. So me seeing that every day tore me up, and then I'm associated with police right. now, just working for corrections. Right, right, right. Which is beneficial to me now because I have my badge, and when I get pulled over, I can show it, and I'll get a ticket. <laughs> but it's not beneficial to me when uh, I'm associated with, with all the stuff like the Mike Brown, mm-hmm. Michael Brown, and Trayvon Martin stuff. That stuff happens and you're associated with police, yeah. you know what I mean? So I was dealing with a lot of mental battles. Yeah. So I, I, was, I was dying for a way to get out. But luckily, because I worked at the reason.
9: Open and gross lewdness is a common charge that we see filed in Las Vegas. And usually it has to do with somebody who inappropriately touches somebody else, usually at a club or a bar, it's a very common charge. Often somebody who's charged with an open and gross is, uh, is someone who's been drinking, somebody who has no criminal record. Maybe they thought the contactor was invited and they misinterpreted social cues and didn't realize they were do so, doing something wrong. Or as a result of consuming alcohol, their inhibitions were, were low and they, they did something that maybe they wouldn't have done when they were sober. The significant uh, issue relating to open and gross lewdness in the state of Nevada is it's considered a sex offense, and it requires registration as a sex offender. So what might seem like a playful touching after a few cocktails could end up being something that requires you to register for life as a sex offender, so the consequences can be quite severe. I'm attorney Michael Becker of the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you've been arrested in Las Vegas or anywhere in the state of Nevada, call us at 702-DEFENSE. We'd be happy to talk to you about your case.